This is episode 77 of the Magic Detective Podcast. On this episode, you'll hear about the lives of the Holocaust magicians. That and more on this episode of the Magic Detective Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Magic Detective Podcast, your podcast home for magic history. I'm your host, Dean Carnegie. I am the Magic Detective, and this is episode 77. Well, there's nothing like leaving my listeners scratching their heads over something I said. Uh, Last month, I made mention of being surrounded by books, notes, DVDs, and more, and some were magic-oriented, some were SEO, some were about YouTube, and even had a book on motivation in there, I think. Well, apparently, I edited out the part that said all of these things that are scattered throughout the house are all research uh, information for a new show I'm developing, so that kind of... uh, Helps it make a little more sense, but I left that part out. Uh, There was also another bad edit that I had when I mentioned uh, Mike Caveney's recent article in Genie about the Sewing in Half. The latter part of the uh, article title got edited out. The full title is Sewing a Lady in Half, Shattered Friendships, and All-Out War. And uh, it was a great article, by the way, and part of the the book that he wrote on uh, Sewing a Lady in Half, the history thereof. I think I also had a sound volume issue last month, which I'm probably going to have again today because I'm recording from a hotel room and not home. So um, I've got this air conditioner that just wants to continue blasting um, whenever it wants to, and I can't seem to control it. So I apologize if, uh, if that becomes an issue. Today's podcast began as a blog article back in 2011. If you're not familiar with my blog, it's themagicdetective.com, and I've got some 800 articles on magic history over there. But back in 2011, I began working on the uh, article called The Holocaust Magicians, and I still remember the research for this project. I, I was familiar with the Holocaust through documentaries and movies and and some books and articles on the subject, but I was less familiar with Herbert Levine, or Novelli, as he would be known. The uh, April issue of Magic Magazine had a paragraph or two about him, and I must have been familiar with William Rauscher's article, uh, as I even mention it in the notes at the end of the blog article. But to write about Holocaust magicians, I first decided to spend some time researching the Holocaust itself and the events leading up to it, how deceptive the Nazis were about the concentration camps, and yet how, uh, in some cases, how blatantly honest they were. Uh, Jewish people were the main target, but the camps would also find Romani people or gypsies, uh, had the handicapped, and basically anybody that was an enemy to the Jewish people Um, or who they thought were less than human, found their way into the camps. All that research put me into the thick of things, and and i got to admit, it was painful research. Um, I didn't want to think about such horrific things, you know, that they happened to people um, really within my lifetime. It happened before I was born, but not all that long before I was born, so... Um, you know, my dad was alive when that happened, so it was it just, uh, it's really difficult. Um, so many travesties, so many 
uh, it's well, you know what I'm saying. It's just a very, very difficult time. Uh, the treatment of these innocent human beings was beyond brutal, beyond cruel. And yet, in the midst of these very dark days, was this man named Nivelli, or Herbert Levine. He was the only one I knew about when I began the research, but before I finished the article, I had discovered a couple others. And then today, I actually have another um, person to add to the list as well. So let me tell you their stories, and please stay afterwards so I can share some additional details with you about one of these individuals. The 20th century was a time of great extremes. In the early part of the century, we saw the introduction of radio and movies. Advances in the automobile and the airplane changed the way we traveled. By the end of the 20th century, we had ventured into space and even landed men on the moon and returned them safely to Earth. However, the century was not without its darker moments. The globe suffered through two world wars as well as numerous other conflicts. Diseases would continue to wipe out millions of people despite our best efforts. And the worst man-against-man event was the Holocaust during World War II. This is what the Nazis called the final solution to the Jewish problem. They would wipe out the Jewish race from the face of the earth, or at least they would attempt to. What could be more wicked and evil than that. What kind of people can consider this thing, let alone actually do it? Yet today in the 21st century, there are still people who would just as soon wipe out their political enemies than to speak to them, destroy the lives of those who don't think a certain way or believe a certain way. These wicked people still exist in the world, and it's scary to think what the future holds. Our story today begins with one man. His name was Herbert Levine, and he was born in Berlin, Germany on September 9, 1906, to German-Jewish parents. There's no record on how he became interested in magic, just that he had been interested in magic since he was young. A number of well-known magicians and manu magic manufacturers came out of Germany, including Frickel, Max Osinger, Kompars Hermann, Alois Kastner, Carl Willmann, and August Rodeberg, to name a few. Houdini was also popular, a very popular attraction in Germany. Whatever the inspiration to become involved in magic, we know that Herbert Levine was both a magic shop owner and a performing magician. By reversing the spelling of his last name and adding an I, he would become Nivelli, the magician. He was apparently well-known as he had performed at many of the best theaters in Germany. In 1933, Adolf Hitler was elected Chancellor of Germany. In the same year, the first concentration camp was opened in Dachau in southern Germany. Originally designed to hold Hitler's political enemies, it soon housed all manner of so-called enemies of the German state, anyone Hitler disliked, Jews, Catholic priests, homosexuals, immigrants would be sent there. Ten days after the first concentration camp opened, German citizens were told not to buy from Jewish shops or businesses. Herbert Levine and his family could see the writing on the wall, and they fled Germany for Czechoslovakia. In 
For a time in Czechoslovakia, Herbert Levine thrived. He opened a couple different magic shops and performed throughout the area, but the good days would not last. In 1940, an old fort in Terezin, Czechoslovakia, also known as Thierseinstadt, was turned into a concentration camp by the Gestapo. Levine and his family ended up in this camp. When the SS discovered that Levine was actually Novelli the Magician, they commanded that he perform for them. This could happen any time, day or night. The Nazi SS would show up at night while he was sleeping and wake him up and demand that he show them some tricks. He worked with a dirty deck of cards and some string. He would also borrow coins from the German officers and use those for magic effects as well. This attention garnered Levine slightly special treatment by the SS officers. He would be allowed to sleep a little longer than others, and his workload would not be as hard. He would also get special food on occasion. Eventually, Levine would add other tricks to his lineup, and before long, the Nazis changed from wanting to see the tricks to wanting to learn the tricks. So Levine proceeded to teach his Nazi captors magic. Reinhard Heydrich, who became known as the Hangman, was a high-ranking Nazi officer in Germany. Heydrich would move up the ranks and eventually be in charge of various parts of the German police force, including the Gestapo. In 1940, he was named President of Interpol. In 1941, Heydrich was appointed Reich Protector and a part of Czechoslovakia that had become part of the German Reich. His job was to bring the Czechs in order and make them German citizens, and his methods were nothing short of cruel and dastardly. In June of 1942, Reinhard Heydrich was assassinated by two men trained by British Army Special Operations. Hitler was furious and ordered the arrest and execution of thousands of Czechs, both Jew and non-Jews alike. It's about this time that Herbert Levine, his parents, his wife, and child were all placed in a railroad boxcar and shipped off to the Auschwitz-Birkenau concentration camp in Poland. For four days, they made the trip in the sealed-up railroad car with countless other Jews. Like sardines in a can with no food or water, they traveled unsure of their destination. At Auschwitz-Birkenau, the families were broken up. They also received tattooed numbers on their arms. Levine would be stamped with the number A1676. The Jews were crammed into barracks and had to share beds with others. Levine's bunkmate was a young 16-year-old Jewish boy named Werner Reich. His number was A1828, and he arrived via the same train ride as Levine from the Thierensandstadt concentration camp. The two never knew each other's names, but referred to one another by their numbers. Levine introduced Werner Reich to magic. Word got out again that Levine was Novelli, the magician, and once again the Nazis demanded he perform for them. This is likely the only thing that saved his life. Auschwitz-Birkenau was one of the death camps where the gas chambers were located. Though Novelli's magic saved his own life, the Nazis were not so kind to his family. 
All the members of his family that had traveled with him were gassed and killed at Auschwitz. Possibly in an effort to save his life from the gas chambers, the Nazis shipped Herbert Levine off to schachsenhausen oren Ibenberg concentration camp. He was rescued on April 22, 1945, when the camp was liberated by the Red Army and the Polish 2nd Infantry Division. In his own words, Levine said, I was rescued, but by that time, through lack of food and vitamins, I was so weak I could only walk on sticks, which were improvised crutches. My fingernails and toenails had dropped off. I was the first man to come back from the camp alive to Berlin. Herbert Levine returned to Berlin and within six months had regained his health and was back to performing. Friends in the magic field supplied Novelli with handmade wooden props. Once again, he was performing on the stages of Germany just as he had prior to the war. In 1947, Novelli appeared at the Schiffbauer Dam Theater in Berlin. This theater opened in 1892. The theater had changed its name a couple times in 1931, for example, and was closed in 1944. However, once the war was over, it reopened, and it is still open to this day. It's considered one of the most glamorous theaters in all of Germany. The show Novelli presented was called Laughter and Crying. He wore a colorful, bright Harlequin sequin costume and presented an act that was described as a fairy tale. Following his performance, Herbert Novelli took advantage of the Displaced Persons Act of 1948, which authorized for a limited period of time the admission into the United States of certain European displaced persons for permanent residence. He came to America and moved in with his sister Hetty in New York City. In 1948, he married a woman named Lottie, who was also from Germany. Together, they would successfully perform across the United States as the Novellis. For a period of time, they performed on cruise ships. They had a simple act, which consisted of manipulation magic, the canary lemon egg grapefruit, shooting through a woman, and finally the substitution trunk. Their act was sophisticated and had just the perfect amount of comedy. The final performance of the Nibelis was on May 1, 1977, before 1,500 people in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Herbert Levine passed away two days later. In 1947, before leaving for America, a German newspaper described Levine this way. One who has laughter in his heart because fate has been good to him, while also in his heart and mind he cries because of all the memories imprisoned in his mind from behind the electric wire barricades. Louis Lamb was born in 1903 in Amsterdam, Holland. Like Werner Reich and Herbert Levine, he too was Jewish and interested in magic. In fact, he was a partner of the Dutch magician Hank Vermaden. Hank was a magician, dealer, and teacher who worked with, among others, Fred Capps, Peter Pitt, and Richard Ross. Lewis wrote a number of books. Among them, there's one called Be Deceived. 
Apparently, this book and others were written to help him earn money, as the Nazis had made it difficult for Jewish people to work. The book, by the way, is filled with card magic, and imagine my surprise to see the opening trick called the LL Telephone Trick, and it's an ideal effect for virtual performances. He was way ahead of his time. It closely resembles Steinmeier's nine-card problem. We also get a bit of insight into Lewis's magic life in the introduction. He mentions his admiration for the great Levant, and apparently at some point he asked Levant to critique his show, and Levant did as he was asked and ripped the show apart. Lewis points out that he could have turned away from the criticism or he could embrace it and improve his act. The words of a professional with enormous experience were invaluable to him. In 1943, Lewis Lamb was arrested and sent off to Worcesterbork camp. This was a transit camp. This was used to house Jewish refugees from Germany. The camp had a school, a restaurant, and other amenities to give it an upstanding appearance. It also gave those who were there a false sense of security. Little did the Jewish prisoners know that they would be shipped off to either Auschwitz or Sobibor concentration camps. Lewis Lamb was transferred in 1943 from the Westerbork camp in Holland to the Sobibor concentration camp in Poland. He was killed within hours of his arrival. The magic periodicals of the time would occasionally post things like, No one has heard from Lewis Lamb for a while. Here's hoping he's okay. But the sad news was, he was gone. The Nazis only controlled Westerbork camp from 1942 to 1944 before it was liberated. But in that time, 103,000 Jews were sent to their deaths. Thanks to the writings of Ottokar Fischer, I have a new magician to add to the unfortunate list of Holocaust magicians. She was known professionally as Miss Blanche, but she was born Ruth Iris Waxman on September 1st, 1910. In her early years, she was trained as a ballerina, but a chance viewing of Viennese magician Larette, she became captivated by magic. He performed a skill-based magic act with manipulations of various objects. This appealed to Ruth's way of thinking as her dance work was all skill-based. Interestingly, Ottokar Fischer points out that before she saw Lorette, she hated magic and magicians. However, she soon developed an act of her own, featuring manipulations, cards, and coins, and her specialty was producing and vanishing lit cigarettes. She changed her stage name to Miss Blanche to tie in with a particular cigarette company who had a brand named Miss Blanche that was promoted strictly to women. Miss Blanche was soon a sensation everywhere she went. This next piece is from a 1940 issue of The Sphinx, Odekar Fischer reporting. He says, When touring Yugoslavia, the adjutant of the Yugoslavian king witnessed her performance. He was so enraptured with Miss Blanche's performance, he invited her to appear on occasion of the king's birthday, September 6, 1938. Before the king in the royal residence of Bled, 
to embellish the birthday's festival with her charming magical tricks. The king himself was more than satisfied with Miss Blanche's presentation and appointed her artist magician of the Yugoslavian court. But as with everyone else I mentioned, work became increasingly difficult for those of Jewish descent. Even though Miss Blanche lived in Holland, she still suffered. In the spring of 1943, Miss Blanche was arrested and sent to Auschwitz. Much like Herbert Levine, the Nazis learned who she was and would demand she perform for them all hours of the day or night. After two years of this, she was near death. She weighed but 65 pounds when the Soviet army liberated the camp in January of 1945. After the war, Ruth Iris Waxman, a.k.a. Miss Blanche, remarried and moved to the United States. At this point, she left magic behind. She lived a long life, passing away in 1989. Back to Werner Reich. Werner was born in Berlin October 1, 1927. In 1933, his family moved from Yugoslavia to get away from, in his words, Jew-hating Germany. Things were good for a few years until Germany invaded Yugoslavia and the family was again persecuted for being Jewish. Werner went into hiding for a time, but at the age of 15 was captured by the Gestapo. He was beaten, tortured, and sent off to his first concentration camp. Here he did hard labor and odd jobs for nearly a year when he and the rest of the camp were packed into train cars. Werner says it was a three-day train ride with no water, no food. Their destination was Auschwitz. Again, in his own words, they arrived smelling of urine and feces. He was given a number tattooed on his arm, A, 1828. Werner Reich shared a bunk with Herbert Levine at Auschwitz. This is where they met. They only knew each other by their numbers. They didn't know each other's names. One day, Warner went into the barracks to find Levine sitting on the bunk bed, playing with the rattiest deck of cards you'd ever seen. You have to realize that a ratty deck of cards was like holding onto a gold bar because no one in the camp was allowed to have any sort of personal possession. Yet here was Levine with a deck of cards. Of course, you know why, as stated earlier. At this moment, Levine asked Warner if he'd like to see a card trick. Warner Reich wasn't familiar with cards and had never seen a card trick, but he was going to see his first in this dingy-lit barracks of a death camp. The result of the demonstration was total amazement. Not the type of emotion you would experience in such a place. But then, if that little miracle wasn't enough, Levine then showed the young boy how the trick was done. I think Herbert Levine understood the quandary that existed. On one hand, in the midst of fellow Jews being tortured and debased and burnt, a card trick had absolutely no meaning. Yet, in the midst of all this horror, a little thing like a card trick could have profound meaning beyond its simple visual puzzle. As it was, this trick, or the feeling derived from it, made its way into Werner Reich's heart. He would tell people, I practiced that trick every day for years, even though he didn't even have a deck of cards. He practiced it mentally for years. 
Werner Reich was one of 5,000 boys who fell under the supervision of Dr. Joseph Mengele. Dr. Mengele would earn the title Angel of Death because of the horrific experiments he carried out on the Jewish prisoners. Werner was one of only 96 of the original 5,000 who were spared the torturous experiments. All the others died. Only three weeks after seeing his life-changing card trick, most of the prisoners were sent to the gas chambers. We know Herbert Levine, Novelli, was sent to another camp. But Werner, he did not know this. He would never see his friend again. Werner eventually ended up in Austria in a concentration camp that at some point the Nazis decided to abandon. They left all the prisoners there, but they left. Before long, the Americans liberated the camp. Werner Reich weighed 65 pounds when the American soldiers came through. He was only 17 years old. After the war, Werner went to Britain and then eventually came to America. Here in the U.S., he married and raised a family. He was an industrial engineer. And when he retired, he also became a speaker and a magician. He never knew Novelli's stage name until he came across it while reading an article about a magician. When he read that Herbert Levine's number was A1676, he knew instantly that this was the man who introduced him to magic. The sad part was they both lived in New York and not very far from one another, but they were never to meet up again. After he retired from his job as an engineer, Werner Reich began a new career, speaking at schools to kids about the Holocaust and about his experiences. Werner Reich's life was covered in a short film by Sandy Bauckham and Michael Reich. The movie is called Telling Jokes in Auschwitz. Also, in 2017, I think it was, Warner did a TED Talk on his experience during the Holocaust, and I will put that link in the show notes. The events of the Holocaust took place 80 years ago, and there are still survivors of the Nazi concentration camps who are still alive today. It boggles the mind, though, to think that such wickedness could take place so recently in our history. It's equally amazing that something as simple as magic tricks helped to keep two people alive and inspire another man's life, and yet was not enough to help a fourth person, Lewis Lamb. Lewis was not as lucky as Herbert Levine and Warner Reich and Miss Blanche. However, he lives on through his manuscripts. Among them, Brunel White presents Would You Believe It? in 1935, Watch Me Closely, 1937, and Be Deceived in 1939. The latter book is available through the trickshop.com, and you might check library.com for the other books. Herbert Levine Novelli lives on today mainly because of the articles by magic historian William Rauscher. He actually saw Novelli perform and met and corresponded with him. He's written a manuscript about him and articles that have appeared in Magic Magazines. It was because of William Rauscher's articles that Warner Reich discovered the name of his friend that he only knew as A1676. 
Werner Reich's life was covered in a short film called Telling Jokes in Auschwitz. In addition, Werner wrote a book with William Rauscher on the Death Camp Magicians, that's the title, which covered his relationship with Novelli during the Holocaust. I promised to share more with you about one of these individuals, and that man would be Werner Reich. When I first wrote my blog article back in 2011, um, I, I finished it with a, uh, with a very heavy heart. And there were, it's just writing about all of that and uh, doing all the research. You know, there were just moments of horror and there were moments of gladness and there were some happy endings and some not so happy endings. Um, it was just a tough time. But then one day, in 2014, a couple years after I had written the original piece, I received an email from Warner Reich. And I remember seeing it in my email box, and I still recall when I saw it, my hands started shaking. And I thought to myself, I don't think there's a celebrity alive that I would be more honored to speak to. Receiving an email from Warner Reich was just simply one of the highlights of my life, and I honestly felt unworthy. I opened the email, and this amazing man said he had found my blog article and asked if he could share it with his local magic club. And imagine my thoughts, the thoughts going through my head. This is your story. You don't need my permission, but he was so kind to ask. And of course, I said, yeah, yes, yes. Um, And we shared several emails after that. And we both looked forward to one day meeting at a magic convention or something. And I thought, wow, this was just the most amazing experience. You know, in in life, um, sometimes you see celebrities and famous people. um, And sometimes they're not all so wonderful when you meet them. You discover that you know they're just human beings, and sadly, sometimes they're not the nicest of human beings. But here was Werner Reich, a man of enormous character, someone, someone that deserved to be looked up to, someone to be inspired by. And he continued to speak on the Holocaust and how magic helped him through those dark days. He gave a TED Talk on the subject. He spoke at schools and museums and wherever people would listen. And yet, Warner didn't disparage his captors. But he also didn't hold back on the horrid things that took place. He finished his TED Talk with this line. So if you ever know somebody who needs help, if you know someone who's scared, be kind to them. Give them advice. Give them a hug. Teach them a card trick. Whatever you're going to do, it's going to be hope for them. And if you do it at the right time, it will enter their heart and it will be with them wherever they go forever. Werner Reich passed away July the 8th, 2022. My previous research was mostly via AskAlexander.com and various magic 
periodicals of the time. I ran across Miss Blanche while reading some uh, stuff on Artikar Fisher, and um, and then I stumbled upon a most incredible blog called Magic and Art by James Green, a UK-based magician and researcher. He was um, he had more information on Miss Blanche than I had, as well as other performers of the time that uh, played a part during World War II. So if you're interested in, in that kind of history, I'd encourage you to check out Magic at war.blogspot.com because it's really a, an incredible blog. Finally, uh, Werner Reich and William Rauscher wrote a book together called The Death Camp Magicians. It tells much more in detail about the lives of Herbert Levine and Werner Reich. And my friends, that's going to do it for this episode of the Magic Detective Podcast. Be well, my friends. Stay safe. Be kind to each other. Until next time.